Get geared up. Let's start the mission. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 23 of the Real Spies, Real Lives podcast. I'm your host, espionage author P.A. Duncan. 23 means we're three away from 26 weeks of having done this, or a half a year. I don't know, I'll have to give it some thought, maybe on week 26, I'll have some kind of a little giveaway or some such to acknowledge the momentous anniversary of a whole half year of doing this. All right, today we're going to read some more from the third book of the Self-Inflicted Wounds trilogy. That third book is titled, And Justice for All. I'm going to set it up a little bit. If you'll recall, at the beginning of And Justice for All, which I read a couple chapters last week, the kidnapping of a prominent Yugoslavian political official has occurred. Mai was slightly injured in it. And now one of the Bukharin nephews, the one called Sasha, who is involved with our villain, Cassandra Brown. Actually, villain is one of those loaded words that I don't really like. She's our primary antagonist, and he's involved with her. They've driven off after the kidnapping together, and his brother, Kolya, who has turned himself over to Maya and Alexei, has no idea where they are. Cassandra, of course, isn't very, I mean, Sasha is a young man who's undergone a serious trauma in Chechnya. And, of course, Cassandra exploits that and lets him think that she loves him when all he is to her is a tool and a tool she'll throw away when she's finished. So not wanting to be with him, She's sent him back to a damaged sports complex in Belgrade, one damaged during the NATO bombing the year before, to keep an eye on their supplies there. And that's also where they brought the van that held Stambolich and two wounded members of their assassination team and, and one member which Alexei had killed. Cassandra has killed the two wounded men, but S- Sasha doesn't know that. And she tells Sasha that it was my Fisher who killed his two friends. So the bodies have been at the sports center for a couple of days, and this is summer in Belgrade. So things are pretty ripe. However, Mai and Alexei have figured out a way to perhaps save Kolya and Sasha. So Mai has actually been there and planted identification 
on two of the dead bodies to indicate that they are Alexei's nephews, Kolya and Sasha. Then she and Ranovicic have come back. She calls Ranovicic to tell him, oh, I, I have some evidence for you from my many contacts in Yugoslavia, and you'll want to come and look at this. So Sasha's been sent to the sports complex to keep an eye on things, and now Mai is bringing the Belgrade police to the sports complex, and Mai does what she always does on a mission. She improvises. Let's get started then. And Justice for All, Chapter 10 Reminders Returning to the sports complex had discomfited Sasha. He found he couldn't sleep in the room the fellows had made their barracks. Too many reminders of them around. The dead men's possessions looked as if their owners could come claim them any second. Kolya's things were gone, but the weapons were all still there. A newspaper lay open on Kolya's desk. Anatoly's clean clothes neatly folded lay on his bunk. He was so fastidious about his laundry and having clean underwear. The barracks room reminded him of a television program he'd seen about a ship found floating at sea, dinners half-eaten, coffee half-drunk, bathtubs full of water, but no one on board. He thought about the nights he hadn't been with Cassandra, when he and the fellows played cards, drank vodka, and sang old songs. How they had listened intently when he described the things he and Cassandra did together. How they'd slapped him on the back and congratulated him. No disgust, like from his own brother. No reminders of the things he'd done while a prisoner. First... Vanya. Fuck, but that old man would pay for that. Poor Volodya. No one had dared taunt him about his missing tongue, not with Sasha around. The head injury had made him stupid, but his loyalty had remained intact. Tolya. Never losing his command authority, but taking care of each of them. Pasha who was tired of wearing a uniform and whose highest ambition was to work for a mafia boss. This job, he'd thought, would prove his mettle, look good on his resume. Boris and Kirill, brothers, like Sasha and Kolya, but much closer in age. At least they died together. Sasha didn't think either could have borne losing the other. The eight of them had been a team, a unit. As in the army, they took care of each other. When they'd arrived in Belgrade and Cassandra had looked them over, she'd admired them all, but she'd picked him, Sasha. His wounded soul had healed from her love. And now they were all gone, except for Kolya, except for Cassandra, she would take care of him, and he would take care of her. She wasn't ashamed of him, 
like his brother was. He went to the loading dock where the van sat, reeking of rotting flesh. The bitch, the whore who'd done that, he would kill. He would rape her to death. No, Cassandra would want her first, and he knew he could learn many things from Cassandra. If he could somehow find the bitch and deliver her to Cassandra... His body reacted predictably as he imagined how Cassie would reward him. He returned to the barracks room and took a sleeping bag from one of the makeshift bunks. He found a niche on an upper level where he could keep an eye on the room with the weapons, but away from all the reminders. Renovasich missed his daughter's giggles and his wife's sultry smile. He was happy they were out of Belgrade and safe, that his safety was the only one he had to worry about. But the flat was empty and sad without them. He hadn't slept in his and Anya's bed because he'd never slept alone in it. She was always there, and he knew he couldn't be in that bed without her. The lumpy couch was good enough until she returned. The plum brandy she meted out as if it were rationed beckoned him to ease his loneliness, but Anya would only check the level in the bottle when she returned, and she'd make him pay for his indulgence. He brought to mind Anya's soft, pliant curves and sought to lose himself in a pleasant, pornographic dream. Shranya, he muttered when the phone rang. He tossed his blanket away and sat up in the dark, groping for the phone. Ranovasich, he answered. Foya, came my ear's voice. I have some information for you. Is it about Stambolich? A pause. What would I know about that? she asked. You seem to know almost everything going on in my city. Sorry, but I'm as clueless as you are about him. What's the latest? Officially, from the Interior Ministry, by the way, is that he's involved in some banking improprieties and has fled the country. Which doesn't explain the two bodies found near where he lives, which happens to be Kotsunyak, the place you asked about. Know anything about those two bodies? Absolutely nothing. Renovisit sighed and said, All right, what information do you have for me? I have some evidence about the Russian suspects. Tell me. I'd rather show you. Of course you do, he thought. Where? Meet me. No, no, we are doing this my way, Renovisit said. Another pause, then forget I called. Renovasich balled his fist. He was not going to beg. Then forget my help for the rest of your stay. Bloody hell, she muttered. Foya, Alexei and I might be a step closer to concluding our mission and getting out of your hair, but for that to happen, I need to show you what I've found. His turn to pause while he pondered how to reply. Up to you, she said. 
You do not leave me much choice, Renovisich said. Where shall I meet you? She gave him a spot he knew was beneath a highway bridge. How long before you can be there? she asked him. I want to bring some men with me to collect this evidence. Forty-five minutes. Excellent. I'll see you then, she said, and hung up. Chapter 11. Family History Renovisich had the police van's driver slow down and douse the lights as they approached the overpass of the Bratstvo in Yeninstvo Autoway. Dressed in black tactical gear, Maya leaned against a concrete abutment. Renovisich saw no car, and she appeared to be alone. Wait here, he said, and climbed from the van. For a change, she came to him. I am here, he said. What am I supposed to see? She nodded toward the dark, abandoned sports complex. A van which matches the description of the one Stambolich was dragged into, she said. He didn't bother to ask how she knew the van's description. Is Stambolich in there? If he is, he's dead. At least somebody's dead, per the smell. How did you find this? I've worked in the Balkans long enough to have an extensive network of informants, she replied. By now, Renovisich knew better than to question, so he signaled to his men to exit the van. Go to the sports complex, he told them. Secure it and radio me when you have. Touch nothing until I get there. Ten minutes later, the radio call came through. All secure, Commander. Come straight to the loading dock. There is something here you need to see. The smell hit them from meters away, and Renovisich breathed through his mouth. When he reached the van, he shined his flashlight into the interior on a scene from a horror film. Blood, shit, swollen, distorted faces. Maia came up beside him. Bloody hell, she said. What? It's hard to tell, but those two may be my husband's nephews. She looked up at Renovisich. If we confirm it, I'd like to be the one to tell him. Renovisich backed away and told two of the men to stay with the van till they could get the morgue vehicle here. The rest of his men he ordered to begin searching the place. I am sorry for your loss, he said to Maia. I didn't know them that well, she said. They made a bad choice. They walked toward the administrative area of the arena, toward the locker rooms and offices. Tell me, Captain Ribolovna, if I were to get ballistics on the bullets pulled from the two bodies at Kotsunyak and from the bodies here, would they match bullets from your Beretta? Why would you feel the need to do that? I am not stupid and I do not believe in coincidence. Her eyes narrowed at him, her expression hard, flinty. If you were to do that, and if there were a match on any of them, I could make the case for self-defense, she said. That might make an interesting discussion to have in one of my interrogation rooms. 
he leaned down to her. I miss my wife and daughters, and I am tired of being fucked with. Maya unzipped her assault vest, undid her ballistic vest, and hiked her camisole up to expose her stomach and the swell of the underside of her breasts. He should have looked away, but the bruises, two of them, the size of his fist, locked his eyes there. Someone had shot her twice, and her body armor had saved her. He blushed and looked away. That is a good case, he murmured, turning his back to allow her to redress. Mai hung back as Renovasich went to oversee his men's search. Of course, she'd already searched the place and knew what they would find. Weapons and personal effects, several cars with their keys, but nothing about who backed Cassandra Brown. Mai took some satisfaction that the police confiscation of the impressive cache of arms would set Cassandra back a bit. However, if someone in the government had bankrolled her, her funds could be nearly endless. Renovasich's eyes gleamed when he saw the weapons. Maybe these will find their way to some of my police stations, he said to Mai with a smile. Mai returned it and replied, Help yourself, but I doubt if they left anything behind to tie them to anyone I'm interested in. Do you mind if I look around a bit? This is a crime scene, and I'm with the FSB, remember? I won't disturb anything of importance. Let me put it another way, Renovasich said. This is my crime scene, and I still won't disturb anything. Shranya he muttered. All right, but if you find anything, rat shit, a dead bird, anything at all, you come get me, understood? Mai smiled again. Of course. Renovasich studied her for a moment, shook his head, and moved with his men to another area of the arena. When she and Renovasich had approached the arena, Mai had spotted a silhouette on one of the upper levels, a man crouching, but before she could confirm it, the silhouette had melted into the shadows. Without Renovasich dogging her steps, she could get a second look. She didn't bother to skulk when she walked across the passageway leading to the pedestrian ramps and the stadium proper. A night breeze cooled the sweat on her face and moved away any lingering odor of death. A warm evening, and she wished the breeze could get through the body armor, Sweat had already soaked her camisole and the waistband of her trousers. Something moved in her periphery, above and to her left. She wiped her forehead with the back of her hand and stole a glance. A man-shaped shadow on the ramp leading to the spectator stands paused and shifted out of sight. A clear invitation, and she accepted it. When she entered the seating tier from the ramp, she saw someone had turned on one bank of the stadium lights. They hadn't been on when she'd been here the night before, nor when she and Renovasich had arrived. In the middle of the illuminated spot on the unkempt field, a man stood, legs spread apart and arms akimbo. A memory assaulted her, 
an abandoned soccer stadium in the UN safe area of Srebrenica, also at night, and she'd skulked there, too. The memory replayed like an old movie reel, in fits and starts, showing Serbian paramilitaries systematically slaughtering Muslim men and boys. She heard their cries for mercy, their wails of fear, the relentless gunfire, smelled gunpowder, blood, and emptied bowels. She closed her eyes and willed the memory away. When she opened her eyes, the interlude had thankfully passed. Mai descended the steps, silent and slow, careful to hold her hands away from her sides and her two handguns in thigh holsters. She reached the bottom of the seating area and climbed over the rail separating the seats from the weed-choked playing field. A deep breath, and she walked toward a man, a younger version of Kolya Antonov. Sasha. He smiled at her, but his eyes, so like Alexei's and Kolya's, were hard. He held an Uzi in one hand, down at his side. Mai had met him once, nearly twenty years ago, when he was a boy, on one of Alexei's rare visits to Ukraine. She stopped when she was close enough to talk without raising her voice, but out of his reach. Alexander Alexandrevich, Mai said, and you must be Totya. Well, I'm choosy about who gets to call me that. Your brother earned the privilege. You haven't. Sasha laughed without joy. Kolya admires you, and I do not see why. But if you figured out Stambolich on your own, I may have to change my mind. I hate to disappoint you, but I didn't figure it out. I had help. She locked eyes with him. Kolya told me. The smirk left his face, and his lips pinched in anger. Liar! My brother would not betray his men. Sasha stepped toward her, but she didn't back away. She let her right hand rest near the Beretta. No, he didn't betray you, she said. He came to his senses, because he wants to save your life. Cassandra Brown led six of your friends to slaughter. You're next. Cassandra, yet. She's not responsible for any of it. Him and you, Suka. You killed them, all of them. I killed two in self-defense, no more. A head shake. You killed them all. If you are your father's son, she began, you won't dishonor him or the stalwart heroism of your grandfather Bukharin. Sasha's face twisted into a sneer. My father... My father is a drunk who weeps over the men he lost in Afghanistan. My grandfather is a fairy tale told by people lost in nostalgia and desperate for a sense of history. Don't you weep over what you lost? He squinted at her. What are you talking about? Don't you weep over what you lost in Chechnya? The Uzi almost came up and Mai put her hand on the butt of the Beretta. Now, how would I know that little family shame, if not from Kolya? Mai asked. Shut up. Mai smiled and said, Did she tell you she loved you? What? 
Cassandra Brown, has she declared her undying love? Did she tell you you're the best she's ever had, that you're quite the man despite what the Chechens did to you? Something, doubt perhaps, passed over his eyes, but he steeled them again. Golia said you are good at manipulation. He told me all about you. Only what I let him know. All right, the family chat is nice, but let's get down to it. Sasha smiled again. Good, because now I kill you and dump your body on the old man's doorstep. Mai laughed and said, well, do that, and all you do is piss him off. Something you do not want, as Vanya found out. And if you think family ties will stop him from slitting your throat, think again. Kolya said the same thing about you, but I am not scared of either of you. I have a job to do with Cassie, and family or not, I will get it done. Sasha, Kolya has taken himself out of this. The others are dead. You and Cassandra are all that's left. Come with me now, and Alexei and I can get you out of here alive. Stay with her, and you'll end up rotting like your friends. Get me out of here and to where? Russia? Ukraine? There's nothing for me in either place. I am not going back to the army. No. I like what I do now, and I like working with Cassandra. It is very rewarding. He leered at her on many levels. And when she's done with you? We go on to the next job. No, when she's done with you. You need to have a plan, because she's left a lot of her assets swigging in the breeze. Alexei and I can make certain you're not one of them. I trust Cassandra far more than you or my uncle, especially since I sent someone to kill him. That's the past, Sasha. That's the past, Sasha. We're the only ones who can assure your survival. Fuck you, Suka. I do not need your help. I am not anyone's little brother anymore. I am a man. And I decide. I will stay with Cassandra. Cassandra has never worked well with a partner. She uses people until there's nothing more to get from them, and she moves on to the next. Sasha's free hand moved to his crotch. Maybe I have something to keep me around. Well... I certainly hope you're using condoms, because given how many people she's fucked, she's bound to give you something to make that dick fall off. He flushed, his jaw clenching, every muscle in his body tightening. Ah, she'd hit the nerve. Mai took a step back and moved into a defensive posture, her arms up. What? Sasha said, laughing. You're going to fight me? If that's the way it has to be. I prefer doing other things with women. Since when? But if you're man enough, Sasha, come ahead. They approached each other until they stood like prize fighters, almost nose to nose. And Mai slapped him, a stinging smack like one you'd give a child. Sasha tossed the Uzi aside and grabbed her by the tactical vest. She closed a hand on his throat, drew the beretta, and put it to his head. Let me go and back up, 
she said. She pushed the muzzle of the Beretta harder against his head. Back up. He shoved her away, but she kept her feet. Sasha pointed a finger at her. Do not slap me again. Considering the company you keep, I think that was foreplay. Does Cassandra spank you, or does she make you crawl around like a dog and lick her boots? Sasha lunged for her, and she holstered the Beretta, fending off his attack with her arms and kicks. A roundhouse kick sent him backwards to land on his buttocks. His eyes flicked to the Uzi, but Mai pulled the Beretta again. Don't do it, she warned. He put his hands up, palms toward her. All right, do not shoot. Get up and step away from the gun. Hands held away from his body, Sasha stood. All right, we'll take a little break here. I always like to leave my chapters on what's going to happen next kind of thing. Let's do the little commercial type thing here. So, and Justice for All is available for pre-order now from Amazon. And you can find it by going to my Amazon author page, which is amazon.com slash author slash Phyllis Duncan. You can actually see it as a series. It's got its own series page, and the series name, of course, is Self-Inflicted Wounds. You can pre-order it there. And, of course, the first two books, Welcome to Belgrade and Dangerous Truths, are available now as ebooks and paperbacks. So there's probably going to be a little bit of a sale at the end of November, where maybe the first two might be free and a special price for the third one so that you can buy some gifts for Christmas. You can gift an ebook on Amazon. You have to have the person's email or their like their Kindle email. And you can also gift a paperback. You can purchase it, say that it's a gift, and Amazon will actually put it in this really nice little bag gift bag and send it off to the person that you want it to go to. I I use that a lot at Christmas time for, I have one grandchild who lives a, a ways away from me and I can't always get there on the holidays. I usually see him a couple of days afterwards, but I want him to have stuff for me on Christmas day. So I generally do that Amazon gift thing. Works very, very well. I also wanted to point out, I know I've talked about my Facebook author page and uh, my Facebook readers group. You can find both of those on, on Facebook. But as everybody is saying now, Facebook is out and Instagram is in. And I'm also on Instagram. So if you want to go there and find me, you can search for at P.A. Duncan and the numeral one, not one spelled out, but P.A. Duncan one. On Instagram, I publish um, at least once a day, usually pictures about what I'm writing about, a picture of a setting, description of a setting, 
that kind of thing, you know, a little more in depth about about the books I write and what inspired me about them and so forth. And some things about my my writing life and my life in general. I don't talk about my life in general too much because frankly it's boring. I get all my excitement from the books I write and the things I write about. So if you're interested in following me there, you can go to Instagram, search for PA Duncan One and follow me and I'll be happy to follow you back. And uh, I like engaging there with people who leave comments on my content. So it's it's a fun it's a fun social media platform. I sometimes feel overwhelmed by all of them. I mean, right now I'm podcasting. I do ads occasionally on Facebook or Amazon. I post content to my Facebook author page, my Facebook reader group. I have a Pinterest account, which I don't post to as often but you can go there. You can find me under P.A. Duncan 01, so P.A. Duncan 01, and see some of the pictures I've selected to represent, or the pins, pardon me, not the pictures, the pins I've selected to represent my books and the events in my books. It's not a it's not a page that I keep up very often, but it's there, and I do go in periodically and update it when I have something new coming out. So, book ready to pre-order, two other the other books ready in the in the trilogy ready for you to order. You can follow me on Insta or on Pinterest or on Facebook. So, let's read perhaps one more chapter. Oh, and it's it's a good one. It it kind of ends on another little cliffhanger from and justice for all. Chapter 12, Smiles and Lies Sasha kept his eyes on the gun in his aunt's hands, a Beretta 92F, not a usual woman's gun, nor was the Glock 21 in the other thigh holster, a 45. He noted her ease and comfort handling the Beretta, drawing it when she needed to, holstering it with a confidence she could bring it out again when she wanted. He remembered Kolya's telling him the Beretta was her weapon of choice and that she'd carried that same gun for more than twenty years. So, Totya, Sasha said, we have mixed it up a little. What is next? A choice, she replied. I take you to the police, who are crawling all over this place, or I take you to Kolya. Sasha smiled and laughed. You are bluffing. Kolya told me you were a good liar, that you were a pathological liar, in fact. Do you even know the truth anymore? Her slender smile was unnerving. Don't even try that on me. I've been doing this since you were in nappies. Here's the truth, Sasha. I first met you when you were five or six years old at the Collective in Ukraine. You liked my stories about leprechauns. Sasha blinked, shook his head. 
Another lie. I never met you until right now. I only know Diadia from stories, fairy tales, more lies. It was the summer your uncle Sergei died in Afghanistan. One of those men your father weeps over. From what I hear, Daddy Alexei got him killed. No, I was there. I know who killed him. And it wasn't his own brother. Sasha shrugged and said, No matter. I do not think he is much of a hero like some in the family. Well, he doesn't think of himself that way and doesn't expect anyone else to do so. Number me among those who do not. A man who abandons his country can never be a hero in my eyes. She smiled that damnable smile again, as if she knew some secret she kept from him. That would be the country you said held nothing for you, right? She asked. Suka, he thought, and imagined his hands around her throat as he raped her. No, Cassie would want her alive. He hid his smile as he remembered something in a pocket of his own tactical vest, something Cassie had had him carry since she learned of Fisher's involvement here. He lowered his hands and molded his face into something less defiant. I, I am sorry, Totya, you make me feel shame. Her eyes remained wary when she said, There's no shame in being misled, once. Now you have the chance to stop it from going on. He held a hand out to her. Please, help me, Totya. She didn't buy it. Drop your guns, now. Sasha stepped toward her, hand still out. Help me, please. The Beretta didn't waver, but he gathered himself, stepped to the side and lunged forward, taser in hand. When it contacted her left arm, it delivered a mere 1,200 volts, but that was enough. Her legs buckled and she went down, not all the way. She braced herself on her right knee and arm, the Beretta loose in her fingers. She showed him no fear, only intense concentration as she fought to control her body. He leaned down and tasered her again, and she flopped onto her back, panting, limbs twitching. Sasha had seen hardened soldiers scream like children when tasered. Her eyes were still fixed on him, and the only emotion he saw was pity. Another jolt arched her back, and she was still, eyes glazed. Too easy, he thought. But thinking about how Cassandra would reward him washed away any doubt. He took both of his aunt's guns and tucked them in his waistband before he checked her pulse. Racing, perhaps a bit erratic, but her color was good. He pocketed the taser and took something else from his vest a hypodermic syringe, and a vial of liquid. Cassandra had given it to him in case they needed to sedate Stambolich. No more than ten cc's, Cassandra had said and smiled. Otherwise, it tends to stop the heart. He drew in ten cc's, reduced it to five, and injected her in the neck. He threw the syringe aside and repocketed the vial. Next, he removed her assault vest and body armor. All she wore beneath that was a cotton camisole, and he left that. He could rape her here and now, but that would take time, and she had said the police were here. Cassandra would let him do that later. 
He stripped her holsters away, but left her trousers. He unlaced and removed her combat boots and pocketed her extra magazines. With plastic ties from his vest, he secured her wrists and ankles and took her up in a fireman's carry. He walked toward a darkened section of the arena to his car. He dumped his burden in the trunk, closed it silently, and drove away without lights. Renovicich heard a sound, distant. A car. He looked around and checked his watch. A long time since he'd seen Maia. He headed for the locker rooms where the Russians had turned them into sleeping quarters. A group of his men were sifting through what they found there, arguing about dividing up the clothing among themselves. Zoran, Renovicich said to the senior officer. Zoran and the others stopped bickering and came to attention. Yes, Commander, Zoran said. Did you say which way the FSB captain went? I saw her walking toward the ramp leading up to the seats. When was that? When she told you she was going to look around. A half hour, perhaps? All right, I will go look for her, Renovich said and headed away. Boss, you want backup? Zoran called to him. Renovicich gave him his best, she's only a woman expression, and kept going. The level where concessionaires had gathered to catch fans as they headed for their seats was deserted, a patchwork of shadows and pools of light that made Renovicich nervous. Maya, he called to the shadows in a stage whisper. Louder, he said, uh, Captain Ribolovna? Nothing. He took out his radio and keyed the mic. Zoran, come in over. Yes, boss. You and three men meet me in the concession area. Is she lost, boss? Zoran asked and laughed. Or something else. Zoran paused and said, Roger, boss, we will be right there. In less than a minute, the four men arrived, their weapons at the ready. The FSB captain might be in danger, Renovicich told them. We need to search level by level. One policeman's eyes darted about. You think someone else is in here with us? I do not know, but Captain Ribolovna is not here, and she should be. Renovicich assigned where he wanted them to search, and he joined in, occasionally calling out for Captain Ribolovna. Boss? Someone called over the radio. Go ahead, Renovicich replied. I have found some fresh footprints in the dust at the top of the pedestrian ramp. Two sets. I will be right there. Renovicich recalled his searchers and climbed the ramp with them till he reached the other policeman who pointed to the footprints in the dust. See, boss, someone stood over there and walked down into the stadium. Large prints, likely a man. The smaller footprints came up the ramp and followed. The FSB woman, maybe? Renovicich clapped the policeman on the shoulder. Good job, he said. With Renovicich in the lead, they followed the footprints. And when they reached the seating area, he saw the bank of illuminated lights. Was that on when we got here? Renovicich asked. No, boss, said Zoran. I checked myself when we got here. Zoran peered at something on the field of the arena. Boss, there is something on the stadium floor. 
Renovasich studied the area. Clothing. Or maybe a body. Cover me, he said, and jogged down the steps. He drew his sidearm and vaulted the barrier to the field. His gun gauntleted in his hands, he inched toward the lump on the grass. A few meters away, he straightened and cursed under his breath. Discarded clothes, probably from someone who thought it would be erotic to fuck in the abandoned arena. His eyes narrowed. No, not clothes, exactly. He walked closer and recognized Maia's vest, body armor, empty holsters, and boots. He'd admired them before in silence. Custom-made, he suspected, but he knew them right away. Soren, call all the men down here now, Renovasich said. Within fifteen minutes, they'd searched the weed-ridden field and found an Uzi and a discarded hypodermic, fresh by the look of it. A policeman jogged back from searching the other end of the arena to report he'd seen evidence of a car recently parked outside. A dripping of oil, still warm, he said. Renovasich walked a few feet away, holding up his arm to ward off his men while he needed to think. Maia could have left on her own, but she would not leave expensive equipment behind. Had someone been waiting here, waiting for them? Or her? Was she a prisoner? What had been done to her to discard her equipment? Why hadn't she called for help? Or this could be another of her manipulations. He gathered up the equipment and boots and headed back toward where they'd entered, but he realized he had no vehicle other than the tactical vans they'd arrived in. He had Zoran bring around one of the cars they'd found. As Renovasich drove away, he thanked the dead Russians for leaving the keys. All right, we'll stop there on a little bit of a cliffhanger note. And I hope it's clear that my let herself be captured. She's been known to do things like that, to get inroads into a place or to get connected to someone who's part of her mission. So there she is. She's in the hands of Alexei's nephew who's going to take her to Cassandra Brown. And maybe next week we'll find out what happens. All right, I want to thank you for listening. I appreciate your listening very much. Audience continues to grow a little bit every week. I'm glad of that. And I again, I am so appreciative of everybody taking the time to listen. It means a great deal to me. I hope I'm improving on the content and my delivery of the content, but we'll see. Overcoming a stutter to speak to people either live or on tape is a little bit of hard work. I usually have to relax for a while after I do this podcast to kind of recover my energy. So we'll see you again next week. Please stay socially distant. We've got record numbers of people ending up in the hospital with cases of COVID-19. And we can help stop that by wearing a mask, staying socially distant. And if you do venture out, remember, 
keep an eye out for spies. This has been a production of Unexpected Paths Radio, copyright 2020, all rights reserved.